0: Kami Falchia, welcome to Crombeha's Short Stories and Poetry for September 8, 2023. Hello, my name is Terrence O'Donnell and I'm here with some more good stories and poetry for everyone this week. This once a week podcast is being hosted on RSS.com and is also available in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. A little about me, I'm a senior citizen of Irish descent and a self-professional professed Kay, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we are sitting under the village oak tree, Kran Bihar, which translates to the tree of life. While here together, I will read to you fictional stories and poetry from writers I have found in medium.com, including some of my own stories on occasion. Some are scary, some are very thoughtful and soul-searching, others are just plain fun. This podcast is free to subscribe to all who care to listen if you're using mobile apps. In order to listen to and read the accompanying newsletter Medium, you will need to sign up for a subscription. I'll offer the newsletter free for one month in Substack, then they get paywalled. If you just want to listen on a web browser with no financial obligations and don't care about reading the stories and poems, you can listen on my website at www.crownbeha.com. I do have a donations tab on the RSS.com webpage where this show is hosted to support my work, much like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your digital village. My goal is to entertain you with good stories of poetry from writers around the world that will spark your imagination, and hopefully they'll stay with you for a wee bit after we parted for the day. So now my first bit of stories here, uh, I've got an actual live one for you. I did a live interview reading with one of my friends up in Massachusetts, Bruce Coulter uh he writes a lot of family stuff uh he does a lot about his photography and his family um health issues things like that uh family what I call family stuff but uh that i'll I'll hold off and i'll uh let you listen to that one at the end Meanwhile, I've got a kind of a scary story for you to start things off today It's called "There's a pee under the bed and she can't Sleep by navena Pascaleva. I'm like the princess and the pea, Claire said. She sat with her hands folded on her chest. Her gaze was fixed on him. He has to understand. Darren smiled. A 40-year-old, insanely rich guy who was in the car business and loved cars. He kept three in the mansion that would become hers as well when they married. The fourth car, his favorite McLaren, was now parked outside the cafe. The color of the car was dark green, just like Darren's eyes. Darren's eyes contrasted with his pitch-black hair. His marble-white complexion contrasted with the black clothes he loved to wear. Darren was a sexy creature full of mystery. That's why Claire loved him. His money was not a bonus, but an inconvenience. She had to somehow put up with it. The princess and a pea, he repeated, and sipped at his cream coffee, like from the fairy tale? Darren wasn't a stupid man, either. Yes, exactly, her brow furrowed. She probably looked ugly right now, but he had to understand. You know, I don't care about riches and luxury. I've told you I can live in a cabin all my life. Come on, babe. We've already had this conversation. So I'm really not picky at all, but there's something I can't stand. What is it? Unsmooth surfaces. His black eyebrows formed two high, perfectly round arcs. What? Yes, in my apartment, everything is flawlessly polished. Beds, tables, chairs, even the floor. If I feel a bump, I go crazy. So, in your house, you should make sure everything is polished, too. And I mean really polished. Like an ice rink. Yes, I know, that sounds nuts. But I had this little quirk. Just this one. Otherwise, I'm perfectly normal, I promise. Claire could feel the sweat trickling down her back under the flowery summer dress. Here, I said it. I told him about my mental condition. Now I'm going to lose him. Darren's eyebrows slowly relaxed. He sipped at his coffee again, and his smile widened. I'm kind of disappointed. Look, I know it's too much to ask of you. And it seems meaningless, but for me, it's... I mean that I expected a bunch of skeletons, he gave her a wink, and you bring out only one, and a tiny one at that. Can't scare anyone, least of all me. You mean, it's done, babe. You ha- you'll have all your services paused to skate on them. When you move in, the moment you notice something's wrong, you let me know and we'll fix it. Claire's eyes filled with tears. She bent over and hugged him. I love you. I love you so much. Darren was also a good-hearted man. There was definitely something under the bed. They'd been married for a week, and life was going as nicely as it gets, except for the two housemates. Claire was on her own during the day while Darren was at work. Darren insisted they stay to clean a house. Because, babe, I can let you cook if you want to, you shouldn't waste your precious time scrubbing the floors the housemaids were doing their work quietly they didn't bother her the family bed was what bothered her after the first sleepless night she and darren were so drunk after the wedding party that she expected to be knocked out cold but she remained with her eyes wide open until the morning she had thoroughly checked the mattress and the wooden surface underneath both were perfectly even she looked and looked but couldn't spot even the slightest bulge First three days, she didn't mention anything to Darren. She didn't want to ruin their lovely impromptu honeymoon. They were having it at home, spoiling themselves rotten with food, drinks, sex, and old movies. I'll take you to Europe in three months, Darren had promised. Just wait for the financial year to be over. Claire didn't care about Europe. She cared about the irritating bed that she couldn't find fault with. The first day Darren left for work, she moved into one of the guest rooms and slept there till noon. She woke up refreshed and full of determination. She had to find the solution to the problem on her own. Claire called a carpentry firm. They came and did precise measurements of bed and floor. Everything turned out to be mathematically smooth. How is that possible? There must be a piece somewhere. I can feel it. Maybe you're imagining it. Maybe your phobia has finally turned into schizophrenia. The carpenters left. Claire didn't know what to think. Two weeks into their marriage, Claire decided it was high time she told Aaron about the problem with the family bed. They could move to another room. Yes, he loved this bed, and yes, there was no physical evidence that something was wrong, but he loved her enough to indulge her. I'll tell him this evening. She was preparing smoked salmon and pasta for supper in the kitchen when he hit her. It might be lower. Lower than the bed, and lower than the room floor. Claire dropped the knife on the herb-smelling kitchen island. Their bedroom was on the first floor. Underneath was the basement. It could be in the basement ceiling. Claire stared at the half-cut piece of broccoli on the chopping board. She couldn't believe she could have become that sensitive. You can believe it? Really? Then how can you feel a microscopic bump on the bedboards under a thick mattress? Isn't it equally impossible? You've always known your body's different. Uncannily sensitive. It's a kind of a gift, right? Or sooner, a cure because there's nothing good that has come of it so far, only problems. She washed her hands and left the kitchen. The basement was dark and spacious. The ceiling and the floor were covered with wooden boards, and the walls were pure stone. Cold radiated from the stone, reminding her of winter evenings in an abandoned mountain shelter. The basement was empty, save for a few cardboard boxes in one corner. Claire rummaged through them out of vague curiosity and discovered they were filled with Darren's school trophies. Claire took a ladder and examined the ceiling. She saw nothing suspicious. She called the carpentry firm again. The three robust men looked at the ceiling. They measured. They shrugged. Everything's perfect, madam, one of them said. No bulges. Desperation washed over her. They can't just leave. I can't remain here alone, believing that I finally lost my mind. They had to find something. Something. The floor, she heard herself suddenly saying. The floorboards. Under them. No. Under the stones. What? The second carpenter turned to stare at her. You should remove the boards on the floor, then the stones, and look under them. It has to be there. Madam, are you all right? I thought you were talking about uneven surfaces. Yes, he's right to think I'm crazy, but I can't stop. I can't stop now. Yes, it's exactly what I'm talking about. There's something uneven under the floor stones. It's no longer our job. You need to call the construction workers. I think you should discuss it with your husband first. I won't discuss it with my husband first. The other guys who came worked hard to remove the boards and two of the stones. It took him about an hour and a half. Claire was worried that Darren would come back and see what they were doing, but thankfully he didn't. Thankfully, they saw the corpse hidden under the stones while her husband was still missing, and when he finally appeared, the police were waiting for him at the front porch to arrest him. The corpse was that of a young woman. It was a skeleton now, but the remains of blonde hair and a light blue dress were still visible. Three days after being summoned as a witness, Claire learned that Darren's previous wife had gone missing 20 years ago. Upon her disappearance, Darren inherited a large sum of money, which he used to start his car business. Claire briefly saw Darren in court after he was sentenced to life. He walked past her, hands cupped behind her back, and green eyes sparkling. He smiled and said slowly, Goodbye, pea princess. I knew it would take a miracle to find Ellen, and I was calm since I didn't believe in miracles. Well, I was wrong. Claire realized she wouldn't miss his green eyes. She wouldn't miss her g- gift for sense of irregularities either. It vanished right after they discovered the dead woman. And that's the end of her story. And as I said, it's a little bit morbid. Uh, and the next one I have for you is a short poem. It's called I Am a Fallen Leaf by Lark Morrigan. I am a fallen leaf floating on still waters. The tree is no longer where I belong. The winds have declared it so. The still waters say silent, yet they say everything that I've ever wanted to say, but never said. The winds circle around me, and I tremor and fear that they will push me even further, but the still waters never let me drown. Every day passes by, and I often wonder why I'm such a stranger, why my solitary leaf destined to float to nowhere. But there are strange lines in the water, and they bear an uncanny resemblance to my own is the only time when I feel understood. That's a very, very, very nice poem. I like that a lot, which is why I chose to read it to you. And I have another poem here. This one is called The Lightning and the Thunder After It. They Helped Her to See the Truth by Mariana Busarova. She's from Bulgaria. The moon rolled under a thick gray cloud. Ella raised her head and looked at the sky. It was going to rain. She almost saw the heavy raindrops overhanging the ground. The silence was that palpable. She could taste it with the tip of her tongue. She looked at the basket in her right hand and felt embarrassed. Fortunately, there was nobody nearby. She closed her eyes and felt the sounds of the waves so familiar. They were retelling a story in their unique language. Maybe it was the story of the coming storm, or memories about all the resting ships deep down under tons of water. Ella preferred it would be... A story about a beautiful mermaid, a love story, with a happy ending, not like her love story. She built an imaginary castle in her mind, and in her imagination betrayed her this time. The castle was like a house of cards, and a single whistle of the wind ruined it. Or it was a castle of sand, and the first storm came, and the ferocious waves raised it to the ground. Dylan promised her to come here on the shore and meet her. Ella did not remind him of their arrangement. She stood up in the morning, took some food and a bottle of rose wine, put all the stuff in the basket, and came to the beach. It was almost 2 p.m., an hour later than the meeting hour, but he was not here. He did not come. And it was going to rain. She felt the first raindrops on her face. Or were those tears? She would not cry. Dylan did not deserve this. He was like a ghost. One moment he was next to her, then he was gone. His job had a priority in his life. It was his boss who ruled Dylan's days. Ella was a simple distraction from his primary purpose, to climb up the company stairs and become part of the leading crew. He did not think of calling her to delay the date. It was not important. Ella should understand. She was something pleasant in his life. A place to pass by in the evening to have some delicious food and to share her warm bed and her body. Ella wasn't sure how it all happened. Dylan was a skilled manipulator. Ella had to agree. He spread his wretched invisible net over her, and she was like a small bee to be eaten by the spider. But no more. Ella looked at the basket and threw it on the sand. She was ashamed of how deluded she was. A flash of lightning tore the sky above the sea in two. Then the thunder was deafening. It just made her leave the basket where it was and run away from the beach. She rushed ahead. Suddenly she lost ability and fell to the sand. A sharp pain shot through her ankle. How could she be so clumsy? A single tear slid down from her left eye and stopped for a second on her chin. It wasn't fair. She felt like she was the only person on this shore. The raindrops started to fall, and her coolness was such a relief for her hot forehead and her ardent thoughts. Are you okay? A husky voice turned to reality. She looked up and saw a smiling young man giving her a hand to help her lift from the ground. Mechanically, Ella thrust her hand into the one stretched out to her and stood up. The pain was much slighter, and she sighed. She was relieved that she hadn't seriously hurt her leg. Yes, I'm fine now, thank you, answered Ella. What happened? Did someone scare you? No, there's nobody around here. The shore is so empty. The storm is coming. I do not have an umbrella. I like the rain, the man said. You're a strange person. All the others run away from the storm. Do they? He smiled again. People are not brave. Many of them avoid problems and responsibilities. But you're here. Why? Maybe because I'm too stupid. Let's go. Look at the lightning. We have to get away from the shore. It's dangerous. He took her hand. They ran away together. When they stopped on the promenade, the man said, I'm Vincent. Would you like to have lunch together? I just arrived. I have never been here before. Amela, Are you a tourist? How about the old hotel near the beach? I want to live here. Ella smiled. I love this town. It has its unique spirit. I will show you part of it. You are hungry, and I know where the best restaurant is. Really? I need some delicious food to erase the nasty taste of my mouth, she answered. Sometimes when something wrong ends, it makes a place for a new opportunity. So that's a nice story. Uh, It basically happens to women all the time, unfortunately. Um, so, now my next story, and it's kind of a science fiction story from David Pahar. Uh, I gave you one of his last week, and here's another one. Landscape ungazed. Given enough time, we all forgive. I think of her oftener now, the anger has departed on, and on withered and crumbly wings. I remember her from our last night together, her cheeks flushed. Chestnut hair tussled, her bra's shoulder strap peeking out of her hastily reclad t-shirt, her ocean eyes gazing through me at a faraway landscape she could never share, even when we embraced. But she was witty, curious, and full of plans, and had a body of a nymph, and we had some excellent times at the work of Seaside Hostel, and on Sunday walks above the shipyards with her noisy terrier. It was she who suggested I should enlist and serve the two-year term so we could get on our financial feet and have a kid. The role we had the evening before I went to the recruitment office on the orbital to sign up and be whisked away to boot camp was historic. The border dispute congealed into a war, as they always do, and her s- streams stopped 12 months later when she became pregnant. Her boyfriend sold their baby to the Smelters guilds soon after she died in childbirth. I think of her oftener now that I have all the machine-accelerated time in the world between the Conway sequences as one of the Navy's experimental AI brains trained with a deceased navigator's memories. I can understand why she did not want a child with a bum like me. She sure was pretty. That's that's about as science fiction as you can possibly get, and I kind of like that one. So this one is called Good Morning Teddy. She's got a parentheses iron, and this is from Simone Blue. So trigger warning, there is implied domestic abuse in this work of fiction. National domestic, she puts on the hotline and 24-7 service, English, Spanish, so on and so forth. If she stayed on task, she could get the ironing done in an hour, but there are always interruptions. Sometimes they landed her in the hospital. Then her schedule was off, and it took so long to get back on track. The morning was not peaceful, but it was quiet. She felt his presence before he grabbed roughly at her shoulders. She ran it on him, connecting the steaming iron hard with the side of his head. He went down with a thud. Good morning, Teddy. She'd have to buy more bleach to get the bloodstains out of those shirts. And now it's a very, very short story. Very short. But, again, domestic violence is not pretty. Now I want to bring you a story from an Australian writer, called Coming Home, by John Hansen. and this one he put in short fiction response to a photo challenge. A wooden sign said Broyles Cemetery. The small private graveyard felt strangely welcoming. The forest just seemed to open into a lovely clearing. It was a little unkempt, but this made it feel less morbid and more like a field as beautiful wildflowers poked their pretty heads above the long grass. A couple of graves were marked by small plaques named Samuel A. Broyles and David John Broyles, and their respective birth and death dates. These seemed rather basic tributes to the life and death of those now rotting beneath them, and were easily missed on first entering the graveyard. Why were these two of my ancestors less worthy than the person buried beneath the solitary large headstone that had immediately caught my eye? I pushed these thoughts aside as I approached the large headstone and read the inscription Mother. Nancy J. Broyles, born July 3rd, 1828, died February 18th, 1910. This was, however, the grave I had specifically come here to see. This was where my great-grandmother lay. She was by all accounts the true matriarch of the family, and perhaps that explains the extra significance seemingly bestowed on her death. In my 67 years, this was the first time I had been here. In fact, I didn't even know this graveyard existed until I began to research my family history some six months ago. Since that discovery, I have been overcome by a pressing urge to visit this place and see where my ancestors, at least on the Broil side, lived and died firsthand. I say lived because the cemetery was connected by a short gravel road to a farm that the family owned and called home as they worked the land. Leaving the graveyard, I drove slowly through the lonely road shaded by a beautiful canopy of trees. Though gravel, the road was in surprisingly good order, and I wondered if the farmhouse and buildings would have been maintained as well. I'm not even supposed to be driving, but what's the worst that can happen? They arrest me or take my license? I don't even have one, I chuckled to myself. Now, once again in the open countryside, I soon passed the old barn with its rusted roof, the machinery shed, and the silo used for storing whatever grain crop that was harvested here, and that provided a living for the families who worked this land. I wondered if they ran cattle, sheep, or some other type of farm animal, and I imagined what a wonderful place it would have been for children growing up. My grandmother actually spent her childhood here before her father died in a tractor accident, and there was no one left to successfully run the farm. Her mother was left to raise three small children on her own. The eldest two could help with the odd chore around the house, but none were old enough to effectively help with the rigors of farm work. Reluctantly, the farm was sold, and the family subsequently moved into town to be closer to other relatives and to make life easier. What happened to the property from that time on, I don't know. Possibly it changed hands more than once over the years, but it had eventually been abandoned and had recently been listed for sale. This was another reason for me to come here soon arrived at the old weatherboard farmhouse, which was also in a state of some disrepair, though still standing and appearing not beyond restoration. Stepping out of the car, made my way to the front door and used a key I had obtained from the real estate agent to open it. My eyes roamed around the entry room. The house still contained most of the furniture. Original? Probably not, but old and possibly antique with all, all the same. As with most abandoned buildings, countless spiders had made themselves at home, and webs and dust covered most of the interior. After strolling through the downstairs rooms, I felt a little faint and gripped the banister to steady myself before slowly making my way up the rickety staircase to check out the upper bedrooms. This effort took a lot out of me, so I eased myself down into an inviting old rocking chair situated in what appeared to be the main bedroom. Even though in today's age of increased longevity, I wouldn't normally be considered old, I lacked the energy I once had. Cancer is a fickle fiend who cares not about age or circumstance. I've always hated the word terminal, unless it has to do with cabs or buses. I smile at my own little piece of humor. Believe me, I've already spent enough time feeling sorry for myself, so I was trying to see the funny side of life and the alternative. As I relax here rocking gently, I'm reflecting on many things. And taking out my journal, I write what you are reading now. My name is Nancy Jane Stanton, maiden name Broyles. I was married to a fine man, Frederick John Stanton, for 35 years, but now I am widowed. As you would have now guessed, I was named after my great-great-grandmother. Coincidentally or not, today, February 8, 2010, is exactly 100 years since my dear ancestor passed from this life. I jangle the keys to my house, the one I had just purchased. Happy memories and pleasant scenes are invading my mind as I recline. Closing my eyes for a moment, I see a lake, clear, beautiful, and serene. Somewhere I'd been before and loved, maybe as a child. My thoughts are becoming jumbled and vague, blending into each other. I have a daughter. What's her name? Sarah. Yes, that's it. I hope she liked this farm. It'll be a good place to bring up the kids, I think. I finally come home. And that's the last of that that I'm going to read to you. My last story, as I mentioned before, is Bruce Coulter reading his own story, uh, which I will bring in to you, let you listen to next. I want to welcome Bruce Coulter here today to read his story. He's going to bring us something about families called Growing Old is Easy, Doing It Gracefully Is It? Bruce, whenever you're ready, I'll let you go
1: for it. All right. Hey, Terry. Um, I will kick this off uh, immediately. Uh, Growing old, gracefully or not, has never bothered me. Aging is part of life. Sure, many people are living to get, are living longer, thanks to medicine, being thoughtful about our dietary needs and exercising more often than not. But none of us are getting out of here alive. As i said a time or two, my shoulder has some wear and tear, reminding me about it for the last 30 years. But life goes on. I've worked a lot of physically demanding jobs. The bills had to be paid, something we're all familiar with. I also had a desk job as a newspaper editor. The only thing physical about that was using my left hand to lift my coffee cup. (laughs) After being laid off, I worked at an Amazon warehouse for a few months. While it was a physical job, the 40-minute drive was worse. Showtime was 5 a.m., which meant an early start every day. So I'm familiar with busting my ass, whether I'm in pain or not. My other issue is hearing, again, courtesy of Uncle Sam. My life has been full of what? Excuse me, and would you repeat that, please? It's annoying to me and the people I'm speaking with. I was also exposed to a number of toxins and metals while stationed at Camp Lejeune in the late 70s and early 80s. The metals included nickel, cadmium, and mercury. There are more, but the list is too long. The toxins were a variety of PCE, TCE, and vinyl chloride. Good times. At some point, the bill will come due. I lost a foot of my colon to cancer, but DOD doesn't count that and declined to provide benefits. There's also the issue of my dental health, which I will not get into. I interviewed a former Marine station at Lejeune. His daughters required dentures in their 20s. Thousands of others have dental issues, but DoD refuses to acknowledge the problem. For now, that's about it. I'm still healthy enough to walk five miles daily. I'm not sucking wind up a flight of stairs or a hill. I'm approaching 65, and look to him.
0: At this point, I need to apologize. I seem to have lost the last paragraph uh, that Bruce was reading here off his story. Don't ask me how that happened, but uh, I'll, you know, I just need to apologize that it's, it's gone. I can't recover it. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. I try to offer everyone a variety of different fictional stories and poetry, and maybe something that touches the heart a little at times. Don't forget to read the newsletter for this show, available in the Medium, Substack, and the blog section of my website, Kram My parting song for this week is Shaheen Shoya by James Galway. Until next time, sláinte. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and you'll return again for another episode of Crown Beha Stories and Poetry next week. Share this podcast with your friends and relations, the more the merrier. Search for The Crown Beha Podcast in your favorite mobile app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree as I try to entertain you today. As a Shanghai, I want to continue to delight you with a story or poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your blessings outnumber the shamrocks that grow, and may trouble avoid you wherever you go. Slán foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish.